0: Alhamdulillah, لله وكفى. kafan. على alaikum wa الذين wa alaikum 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 wa Allahumma salli ala seeduna Muhammad wa ala ali Muhammad wa barik wa sallam It's one of the wonders of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala That even just in five days and ittikaf together We start beginning to feel like a family And yesterday it felt like a lot of guests had come home And today it feels like the guests have left and it's back the family sitting together May hmm? Allah well, accept this from us inshallah So we had talked to you about a few things Ittibai sunnat Kasrata zikr And last night I also explained a lot of things about Sheikh <laughs> Mr. Dakrat Hogyakamak Got the nice imamana also Hmm. There are a couple of more things I wanted to tell you today one is specifically about Ittibai Sunnat because some people ask this question so I wanted to perhaps more openly than other Mashaikh talk about this topic. I want to talk to you about this topic. Alright? The so question is that now that I'm bare, to have to wear some particular type of clothing? Do I have to wear the exact same clothes my sheikh wears? Do I have to wear the exact same turban my sheikh wears? So I want to explain this to you. Number one, that there are levels of sunnah. There are levels of sunnah. So one is what the jurists talk about, Sunnah Mukadah, Sunnah ghair Muqaddah. Sunnah muqadah and hanafifik is that sunnah that was so regularly practiced by Sayyidina Rasulullah that it is frowned upon if you leave it. And Sunnah is that Sunnah that was not regularly practiced. And therefore, if a person wants, they can do it. And if a person wants, they leave it. Alright. That said, on this path of tasawuf, and especially our Mashaik in Naqshband, they place a great emphasis on Sunnah because they saw. Now, what you have to understand here is that our Mashaik have experience in training people getting closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so they saw that when a person does sunnat ghair that also brings them the kurb to Allah and that brings them a lot of kurb to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so you see now the discussion is out of fiqh right you see for example if I have an exam and I say there's an extra credit question so there's one way to look at it it's extra credit another way to look at it is I'll get some points so now sunnat, Ghair muakadah, mandub, mustahab, nafil, it's extra credit. But person who's salik on path of tariqat, he says, I need points, <laughs> I need points. This <laughs> the whole purpose of the saw of is to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So I need more kurb. So you're telling me there's extra credit, I can get more kurb. We say, yes, he says, I go for it. <laughs> now you understand it. Now going for it doesn't change the ruling. doesn't make it into farz. But this is the reason why you will find that many of the people of tasawwuf the they have these extra things. So now let me start, number one, with dress. Let me start with dress. And specifically, although I know there may be women listening, but right now when I'm talking about is specific to men. Alright? For men's dress, there is one concept of sunnah. This sunnah that I'm about to tell you, you cannot find this written in one single hadith but rather if you take all the descriptions of the clothing of Nabi Karim plus you add to that the definition of satr the definition of how Islam has defined nakedness for a man so a concept comes out and that concept is the first and foremost sunnah then of the dress of the man is what I call, this is my own way of explaining it I call it double covering that double covering your satr so that which is from your navel, belly button, to your knees should be double covered. I think I talked about this earlier in some as well. Upper garment and lower garment. So there's an upper garment and a lower garment. So upper garment, lower garment, both cover the sutter. Why? Because you don't just want to cover the skin of the sutter. You want to cover its shape also. I'll give you an example, which you will understand. It's a very stark example. So I will use my own self so nobody gets sensitive. So let's say tomorrow when I come out for Bian, I come out wearing a skin-tight shirt, goes up to my wrists and to my waist, and wearing skin-tight pants that go all the way but are above the ankles. Would you feel a bit awkward looking at me like that? You would, right? Because you used to. So, we even, even our Mashaik, their practice was to put the Ramal over them also, because sometimes when we sit, then it might mean sometimes the shirt might go up. So, we wanted to make sure that not just the skin, but the entire shape is covered. Allahu Akbar. So, this is the first sunnah of the dress of man, double covering. Now, to fulfill this sunnah, there are many ways you can do it, in many different cultures, many different ways. Some of our African brothers are very wide-flowing. Some will have shorter-flowing. Some will have more baggy. Some will have less baggy. Right? So different ways to do it. You can even, let's say you're a doctor, you can wear a long lab coat. Any way you want to do double-covering, you can fulfill that double-covering. That's the, f- the first sunnah is just to be double-covering. What does it mean? It means you don't want to be showing up in pant and shirt to the masjid. That's absolutely... No, I'm not talking from a fatwa perspective. I'm talking from a salik perspective. That's absolutely unacceptable. It doesn't make sense. Why would you wear a pant and shirt to a masjid? I'm getting to what you have to do at work. I'm coming to that later. But when it comes to weekend, when it comes to home, so this over-attachment to that clothing which is departure from the sunnah, because that's single covering, because the western shirts reach the waist or slightly above the waist, And in their western style of dress, if it's longer than the waist, you're supposed to tuck it in. Allah Akbar. It's like (laughs) they're trying to be Khalafi Sunnah. But to make sure there's no double covering, you tuck it in. Hmm? Right? So that's, you won't get the Sunnah double covering. Alright? Everybody understand the concept of double covering? You asked me a question about this once. Is it clear now, Sheikh Yunus? Last year, somebody from Cape Town asked me. Wasn't you? Okay. Doc? Hmm? Alright. Double covering. Okay, so to finish this topic, there may be a few of you who work corporate jobs or maybe work in a lab or a hospital or something. So before I even touch those, the rest of you who work and you study or you have your own shops or your own business, there's absolutely no excuse for you whatsoever to wear a pants shirt. Again, I'm not talking fatwa. If you want me to give you a fatwa, it's 100% jiz to wear pant and shirt. Okay, you got the fatwa. Now, I'm telling you <laughs> that you should be double covering because it will be part of your salook. You will get closer to Allah Ta'ala when you wear the clothing that is double covering your satr. So we want to get closer to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. So, yalla, ya if you made the way I dress... A way to get closer to you, so be it. I will dress the way that is more brings me closer to you. may you eat. You see the, all the other sunas Let me explain. You eat with your right hand. I'll give you footwear. to eat with your left hand. Are you going to start eating with your left hand? Hmm. No, right? Because that has been ingrained in you so much since childhood that how can I eat with my left hand? But it's the same thing then. It should be equally ingrained in you that your dress should be double covering. It should be equal. Hmm? You understand now? Right? Okay, strictly speaking, saying Alhamdulillah when you sneeze, that's not fard. It's not fard. It's also sunnah. Hm? But it's been so ingrained in you when you sneeze you should say Alhamdulillah. In fact, all the sunnah du'as the sunnah before you eat, the sunnah after you eat, the sunnah on entering masjid, the du'a on entering masjid, the du'a upon leaving masjid, if you want to be technical about it. And Hanafi fiqh, all of that ghair ghir sunnat-a-ghir-mu'akkadah. Hmm? So you see now, if you come up with this philosophy, that what ghair ghir I won't do it. Then the alhamdulillah is gone, your hamukullah is gone, right? Bismillah wa barakatullah is gone, alhamdulillah li atamana wasakana that's gone, they're all gone. <laughs> Dua after adhan, gone. So many things will be gone. What type? That's not the deen you recognize, right? You will say that this is then this is not what I recognize. Now you understand? So the same way you do those du'as or you try to do them, you want to do them the same way you eat with your right hand the same way is the way our Masha'iq, they stress we're only stressing it as much as we stress you to make Muslim du'as If you can tell I'm being a bit careful because I don't ever want to be misunderstood but within maybe a few minutes I'm going to stop being so careful Huh? Alright? So I was addressing those of you who have absolutely no need whatsoever. So you should not do it at all whatsoever. Those of you who your workplace strictly demands that you wear Western clothing. So okay, I will allow even from within the subwoof that you can wear that, but then you can strictly only wear it while at work. You should treat it like a uniform. So like the policeman, as soon as he comes home, he takes off his uniform and wears his clothes. So as soon as you come home, you should take off the pants shirt and you should wear sunnah clothing. All weekend you should wear sunnah clothing. All vacation you should wear sunnah clothing. You can keep some type of jubba, some type of long shirt with you, and when you come to Masjid from work, you can put it on. That's how you will show to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala that no Allah Taala, I really wanted to be like this. It was just out of must that my workplace insistently required me to wear. Clothing that did not comply with the sunnah of double covering, so I only did it to the extent necessary. Hmm? All right. That's the first sunnah of clothing. Second, second sunnah of clothing is how long should that upper garment be? Right. So the first thing, was, let me start with the lower garment. That's easier. So lower garment should be high enough so that the ankle is uncovered. Right? The ankle is uncovered. Here again, some people like to go on the technicality, that if the lower garment is covering my ankle, is it haram? I say, no. Is it makru'at tahrimi or makruh nzihi? I say, I can give, you can read long discussions on this topic if you want. Hmm? If you want, you can read a long discussion on this topic. But you can also think, that when Nabi Sallallahu ﷺ said to his sahaba that don't lower your lower garment out of pride, right? So then comes another question, but I wasn't doing, I don't do it out of pride. Well, subhanallah. So if you learn the hadith, what happened that Sayyidina Abu Bakr as siddiq radiyallahu ta'ala was not present. When Nabi al initially told sahaba this, that don't keep your lower garment Lord past the ankle, out of pride. So So then, first of all, all the Sahaba, all Sahaba raised their lower garment. So if you want to say that pride is the illat, then you have to say all the Sahaba had that pride. And if you want to say that, then there's no way you can say you don't have that pride. <laughs> if you're saying, no, it wasn't some sinful takabur; it was the natural pride that every person has, therefore the Sahaba all had that. So then you don't think you have that natural pride? Hmm? If they raise their garment, <laughs> who are you to claim that you lack the pride that they had, that they had to raise it? Another proof saying, Abu Bakr Saitan, he came back, he was scared, he said, Yad I didn't know. I just found out. And you said it would be in the hellfire. I just found out. He said, oh, Bakr, it's okay. You didn't know. So because you didn't know, you weren't doing it out of pride. So what does it mean? Not knowing the hukum of Allah and not obeying can't be done out of pride. But once you know the commandment of Allah Ta'ala, you know the information that has been delivered, and you still don't do it, that is called pride. And Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq ran through, as soon as he found out, he also raised it. I read in one book that Sayyidina Umar or Sayyidina Usman al-Ghani, when they were uh, in their final moments of illness, So he was worried that the way he was lying down, his lower garment was coming down. So at those very end moments of a person's life, he made sure to raise his lower garment up. Hmm? This will bring you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's all you need to know. How much closer? It's up to Allah ta'ala. No mufti can tell you that. If I don't do it, it will bring me further. Maybe not. Maybe it won't bring you further. But not closer is also further. You understand that or no? Not going in forward motion is a kind of reverse motion. Not going forward when you could have gone forward is like going backward because you move backward from where you could have gone. Put it that way. When you don't do this, so where you would have been closer to Allah, had you done this, you choose to move back from that and stay right where you were. So that's reverse motion. Alright? Okay. Now comes the, and those of you who wear pant and trouser at work, it applies to you also. So this one we won't let you out of. But what we will tell you is, that if you wear socks, the same color of your slacks, not the same color of your shoes. If you wear socks the same color as your shoes, everybody will see that your trousers are a little bit high. If you wear socks the same color as your trousers, less people will recognize. And believe me, if you work in a corporate office, 99.9% of corporate offices will will never fire you for this reason that your suit, pant is one inch above where everybody else's is. I don't think that's going to happen. If they do, in America, you could you could sue them for discrimination. Right? I don't know about this country. i don't... Huh? i i you. i aapko you. you. So, I was telling you that if you're very worried about being noticed, then you match the color of your socks with the color of your trousers. That's the best we can do for you. So this covers double covering. This covers lower garment. Next is the upper garment. How long should the upper garment be? Upper garment should at least be past your knee. Because you want to get the double covering How much further can it go? Well it definitely can't cover your ankle Because that negates the whole purpose of leaving your ankle exposed Here different ulama have had different positions on this Some say that it should go up to mid-calf And once it crosses the knee As it keeps going towards mid-calf It's more preferred When you hit mid-calf then you should stop When you go past mid-calf because then it's a danger that you're going towards the ankle so it's better not to go that far. Others they prefer that no we take it all the way past mid-calf all the way basically at the same point where the lower garment is. So that can be a choice. That's up to you. That's a choice. That's up to you. What you do have to be careful with is those long Saudi thobes that are so long that they actually end up covering your ankle. Which when you see a lot of them wear it it's actually covering their ankle. So that you don't want to do. You can always, if you like to wear that type of clothing, you can buy it and you can hem it, you can trim it, you can have a tailor raise it so that it doesn't uh, flow past your ankle. Alright? Okay. Next comes color. Next comes color. So Nabi Karim Wasallam said in a hadith, you should wear white and you should bury your dead in white. Now when it comes to burying the dead... I've never in my life yet seen any cuffin other than white. I've never seen it. Black, red, blue, brown, green. It's all jayis. If I give you fatwa, you want fatwa, 100% jayis. Bila If you want to use a striped, multicolored, rainbow colored cuffin. I've never seen it. (laughs) There's only one hadith on this topic. And that same hadith says, wear white and bury your dead in white. So when it came to part 2 of the Hadith, we're very steadfast about it. Hmm? But when it comes to part 1, we don't take it as seriously. So again, fatwa 100% jives to wear any color other than white. 100%. Not even makruh at all. But, reality, if you wear white with the niyat, that Nabi Karim sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam preferred white, you will get qurb with Allah ta'ala. You see, now I'm teaching you a new way to look at things. A new way to look at sunnah. If you do it with the niyat of taqarrub, even if it's just it's a chance it's sunnah, and you do it with that understanding even, that it's a chance it's sunnah, but I have niyat of getting close to Allah Ta'ala, you will get closer to Allah Subhanahu so Wa Ta'ala. And then a person who says, that I'm desperate, I have so many sins... I want to get better, to get closer to Allah Ta'ala. So these, I call these things freebies. These are easy ways to get close to Allah Ta'ala. What difference does it make to us? What color my clothing is? Hmm? It's like the easiest way to get close to Allah Ta'ala. You we just wear white. so simple. Hmm? Then imagine every second you wear that white clothing, you will be getting closer to Allah Ta'ala because that was your niyat. And those of you very fond of color, well, the fashion world invented the accessory item huh now that doesn't have to be white right once a person they gave me white socks and white shoes as a gift they said that you always wear white socks I said bine huh? I don't have to wear white shoes because they will get dirty hmm? I have them still I kept them I wore them once but it was I felt also it was a lot hmm? Hmm. And also, in a more serious note, if you consider I don't never seen this in a text, but imagine that what colour were the shoes of Nabi Akrim Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So they would have had natural leather, so it most likely would have been brown. That's just my understanding, personal understanding. It's not some research based thing. But it's hard for me. I don't know how they made this shoe white. Maybe it's artificial leather or maybe there was some white leather animal. But mostly animals are brown. So when you tan the hide and you make leather from that, so likely brown would be the case. And the more important thing is we know for sure, for 100% fact, that Sayyidina Rasulullah wore col- clothes of different colors. So then sometimes a the person asks, but then, so what is the sunnah? If you're saying the Prophet some wore clothes of different colors, but you yourself are only wearing white. So the muhaddisin, they explain this. That Sayyidina Rasulullah would sometimes in different matters such as this matter of dress deliberately not always do something lest the ummah think it's fard what does it mean? that he thought white was preferable but he knew that if I always wear white the ummah will think white is required so then the understanding will change so to make sure they don't think white is required to make sure they don't think listen very carefully to make sure they know that white is not required I will at times wear clothes other than white but to make sure they know that white is preferable, I will verbally state this, that white is preferable. So this is what we call his Qawli Hadith and his Fetli Hadith. His statement and his practice. Right. Now then for us, as long as we don't get that misunderstanding right, that white is required and we have the understanding that white is preferable and we want to do as preferable to get closer to Allah Ta'ala, in that understanding you can always wear white. And one way that you show that you know that white isn't always required, so you don't take that, like you only wear white sweater and wear white socks and white shoes and have white wristband on the watch. So when you don't do that, it's clear that you're showing that white isn't required. You see, nobody can think that, oh, I think that white is required because look, I'm sitting in front of you right now wearing a sweater with a color other than white, whereas you can get white sweaters in the market easily. All right. So our mashaykh would teach us these things because they were ways to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So right now we haven't come in any not The shaykh's clothing. The clothing preference is based on the sunnah of Nabi sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Alright? So this covered upper garment, this covered lower garment, this covered the length of both, this covered the color. Beyond that then, sometimes people... I'm just showing you how deep people can go into this. So they can talk about collar and cuff. Now this may be a more subcontinental thing. Because in India and Pakistan, the ulama were very against the collar. Because apparently, Allah, I don't have any research about this, but apparently before the British came in, the style of indigenous dress there was colorless, And when the British came, they were colors. So the collar was viewed by the classical ulama and darlums as emblematic of the British so they were very against the collar. Very against the collar. Whether Nabi Karim sallallahu alayhi wa shirt had a collar or not, I can't say I can tell you the answer to that question. right? Some claim they have done research and they have answers and they state that there was no collar. Allahu alam. Allah ta'ala knows best. all right? kuf Same thing, same whole thing about the kuf The only one thing is that what a person wants to avoid is, let's say, unnecessary embellishment. Unnecessary embellishment. Right? So sometimes, you know, if you wear very fancy cufflinks, then it just looks a bit awkward. Because the white is giving the impression of the one of simplicity. And then if you have a fancy cuff, and then you have a fancy cufflink, that gives a different impression. So it normally doesn't sit well. But technically speaking, uh... We cannot give you a recommendation either way. My personal practice is, as you know, I don't wear collar, I don't wear cuff. Right? That's my personal preference. No student is liable or required in any way to follow that personal preference. Okay? So what else can we tell you about clothing? Ah, yes. Right. Now, the cap, which they called... Okay, yes, the button, number of buttons. Right? So, one thing would be that it, there may be some basis to say that one should have an odd number of buttons, because generally in Deen, those things that are odd are considered preferable. The odd could mean one, three, five buttons, right? Some people have done some research where they feel that one button is preferable. I read once that Imam Al Nawi Allah, when he passed away, he left behind two clothing, one that he was wearing when he passed away, and one other one, and it was described as one button. Right? Here, The point is, that some people go very deep in these things. Now, if you go deep in it for the wrong reason, then it's wrong. Wrong reason would be that, oh, I wear one button, and the person who wears three buttons is wrong. That's the wrong reason to do that. Right? Right reason would be, oh, I want to discover... What could be even possibly the sunnah? What even has a 1% chance of being sunnah? I'd rather do that than do something of my own preference. That's a good intention. That will bring a person closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright? Okay. Then covers the mm, head covering. So the simple head covering is called a cap. Kalansawa in Arabic. Topi in Urdu. Right? There is a lot of, and there are a few actually books and booklets on this now available in English. There's a lot of evidence that Sayyidina Rasulullah S.A.W. kept his head covered almost all the time. But not strictly all the time, but almost all the time. And you can also see in history that the Sunnah spread all over the world through all cultures. That so You will find in Malaysia they also have You will find in Nigeria, you will find in Turkey, you will find in India, Pakistan, you will find it amongst the Arabs. So something also, just from a a historian perspective, if you find something that that is widespread across the cultures of the Muslim lands, so it suggests to you that this was something from the Sunnah, and people adopted it as the Sunnah that they saw in either the Sahaba or Tabin who came to those lands. All right. But you also have hadith that clearly mention the Prophet ﷺ covering his head. Now one hadith that will be very good for the transition to the next topic is Sayyidina Rasulullah said the difference between our turban and the turban of the Jews is that we wrap our turban around the cap and they don't. Now if any of you have ever seen an Orthodox Hasidic Jew, I don't know if they exist in this country, we have them in New York and they exist in London. They're called Orthodox Hasidic Jews. They have these curls here. So those curls actually apparently that the Musa Islam's imama apparently was the, the tails of the imama were left and right. Now because they don't wear imama anymore so they have these curled locks coming down as their sideburns to represent the left-right tails of his imama. Allah because obviously many things in Judaism aren't actually correct. Uh, transmissions of the original religion and practice of Sayyidina Musa salam, but this is how their tradition uh, remembers itself alright wearing an imama, a turban is definitely mentioned in many hadith of Nabi kareem Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam there's an alam alive today he teaches at a madrasa in Karachi called New Town some of you may have heard of alama Yusuf Benori Damtale. sometimes people call it Town also known as nisbat his name is Malana, the current alam his name is Malana Anwar Badakhshoni. He's Ustazul there. He's written a whole book in Arabic on gathering all the Hadith in Rawayat about the Imam. So that the Prophet wore turban is clearly established. That he preferred the wearing of a turban is clearly established. Right? But again, wearing a turban is not fard. Wearing a turban isn't required. But you will see, especially our Masha'ik, Masha'ik in Naqshband, they're very firm and steadfast on turban. Because turban is an established sunnah. There's no question that is it maybe a sunnah. It's definitely sunnah. It's definitely sunnah. The Prophet definitely wore a turban. That's known for sure. Right? Like I was saying, number of buttons, that's unsure. Right? Color, unsure. Turban, sure. that the Prophet wore a turban. And I have that. I've read that book. And I have that book. So there are many, many ahadith on this topic. Right? So then because the way of our silsila is it by sunnah is one of the ways to get closer to Allah Ta'ala our mashaik wear the turban and they tell their students that wearing the turban will be part of your progress on the path to get closer to Allah then the last physical aspect and then I'm going to explain to you some non-physical aspects of dress last would be what's the color of the turban what's the length of the turban here you find different things definitely white and black are two colors mention hadith for the turban of Nabi Akram sallallahu Alaihi some different ulama had different preferences, right? The place where I did the Mufti course, the main teacher who established that center, his name was Mufti Rashid Ahmed, Ludhiyan Viram and And has a series of fatawa known as Asanul fatawa And that he wrote a whole essay trying to establish the preferability of the turban being white. Others have felt that the preferability of the turban being black, right? Others have suggested there may even be other colors such as brown and green, etc., Alright, length of turban I already explained to you the other day by way three and a half, seven, twelve hands, those are also not the strongest of reports but they have some level of possibility but not probability and certainly not certainty, but like I said the way of our was that if there's anything that is even have the level of possibility, you see because if you pick another length, well, that's certain That that's no way that that can be traced back to the sunnah And I have these three numbers, three and a half, seven, twelve, that can possibly be traced back to the sunnah. So if I have something that may possibly be sunnah, and something that's definitely not sunnah, and I've been trained that I must craze the sunnah, to which one will I pick? Right? Okay. These are the physical aspects. Now some of the spirit of this. First spirit is you should never over-exaggerate it. By doing it, you should never lift it to a level of being required. Right? So, let's say a person like, for example, me, I always get my turbans cut in one of those lengths. But it doesn't mean I view that as required, or somebody who gets their turban cut at a different length, I look down on them. This is a sign that you should never look down on a person who has a practice of sunnah dress different from yours. Let's put it that way. Practice of dress, even for that matter. Whether within sunnah dress or whether any type of dress. Alright? This is very important. You're doing it for your own closeness to Allah subhanahu Because like I said, this is easy. Don't you see a person, if he has a shop and nobody was a customer of his shop and days went by and one or two weeks went by. Then if somebody comes and even buys the five cent candy, he gets happy. At least something was made because he was desperate. So we are like that, that we don't have proper amal. We don't have the big sunnahs, so we need the small sunnahs of dress and length and these things, so at least we feel we have something. Alright? Second aspect of the spirit, second aspect of the spirit, is that all of this should only be done for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That you, you might think that that should have come first, but what I found in most people that's not a problem. The problem is they start viewing their practices as superior to others' practices. So because that problem is more prevalent, I put that first. That you should not view your practice as superior to someone and means you shouldn't view somebody else as inferior to you. Right? For example, I should not look down on an alam who doesn't wear a turban. For what reason? Because he doesn't wear a turban. Huh? <laughs> so I start looking down on him because I wear a turban, he doesn't wear a turban. And that's wrong. You shouldn't look down like that. Alright? For some of you, this stuff is very heavy. I, I accept that, right? But I I am talking about it openly. I told you in the beginning. I wanted to deliberately talk about it openly, so you should know that, yes, there is this understanding that even how you dress can bring you closer to Allah SWT. Alright? Now what happens is some people, out of love for their sheikh, Out of love for their Sheikh, they say, okay, just forget all the options. What my Sheikh does, I will do it. That's simple. So they look, okay, how does my Sheikh design his clothing? I will wear the same clothing. What length is his turban? I will take the same length of turban. This is permissible. This is permissible. This can lead to a problem, again, if a person falls in that superiority, inferiority thing. Now, within students of the Sheikh, what does it mean? I'm a better student of the shaykh than X is. Why? Because X has a different style of color than the shaykh and my shirt is the color the same as the shaykh. If you think like that, then you are very astray. (laughs) You are very astray. Hmm? The only way anybody can be a better student than the other student is something like they do more zikr, they have more taqwa, they lower their gaze more. In other words, they're a better Muslim. There's no difference. There's no some other thing Better student and worse student. There's just better Muslim and worse Muslim. Yes, the better Muslims are better students of ours. The better muttaqeen are better students of ours. The better Zakirin are better students of ours. The better Salihin are better students of ours. That's all it is. All right? Anybody have any questions about dress? The sunnah dress? Hmm? What's a cuff? Cuff means like... Uh, that's a cuff. That's a cuff. <laughs> hmm. Yes, so there may be cases where you will have to, w- other than work, where a person might wear different clothing. So when you're, s- for example, this person's swimming. So swimming, number one, you must definitely cover your satir. Right? That's very important Right, You should try To where they do make it Some type of more baggy Type shirt as opposed to the very skin tight uh, Olympic Swimmer thing Because again that shows the shape Of your buttocks and your thighs And again that's halal But it's against the etiquette It's against the etiquettes of haya Right For example when Sahaba would do horse riding Horseback riding, someone can assume that may, they may, may have worn shorter tops because it may be difficult. Allahu Allah, I've never ridden a horse, so I don't know. People who ride horses may know. But there may be certain activities. You may be at work also. There may be person works at a factory. And he says, in factory, I'm worried that if I wear very baggy jubba, I might get caught in the machinery. So okay, in that particular type of work, you may have to wear something else. So there may be certain circumstances, cases, environments, surroundings where you may have to temporarily change your dress yes because and you know, that's a, okay i mean that's a good question generally the, the dean prefers taharat nazafat so a person should be as neat and clean and especially if you're trying to wear clothing that is sunnah because you want to present the sunnah to people in a beautiful, attractive way. So you should try, right? So the sov isn't that I wear wrinkled, old, worn clothes, right? You should wear neat, clean, proper, new. And if Allah Ta'ala has given you money that you can from time to time make new clothing, so it's better than to make the new clothing and give the old away and to remove the stains and all those type of things, right? Yes. Somebody wants to critiqued me he said that he's not a real Sufi why because his clothes are always ironed <laughs> so the soul doesn't lie in being wrinkled just being ironed is not enough to be a good Sufi either right but a person should make the sunnah neat and clean Dr. Yusuf I saw separate from dress right now I'm doing dress if I open that up then there's going to be a whole lot of other sunnas beyond dress yes amount of clothing you can have okay that's also a range definitely there was a time when people who were very they had a lot of zuhud so they had no love for the world they abstained from the world so they would have three pieces of clothing three sets they said one set I wear and the other set is dirty and one is a backup just in case this one gets dirty also before I have time to wash the first one but that's not something we hold you to right that's not something we hold you to in any way I don't practice that myself I have more than three sets of clothes Right, So you should have as many sets as you wear which you want to save yourself from is called israf Israf means waste So if you have 50 sets of clothes and you're only wearing regularly 10 to 15 of them that means you should give the other ones away right? So you don't want to have isra. anything that you're using, it's fine If you like to be like that that you like to wear 10 different colors of sweaters you can have 10 sweaters as long as you wear them even if you say I wear them once every 10 days no problem as long as it's within use but if you have 10 sweaters and there are 3 that you like and the 7 you never wear well there are people out there who don't have sweaters right so in this you just want to avoid israf you want to avoid excess yes slits on kurta is a very touchy issue in South Africa (laughs) yeah South Africa is a unique place really huh Slits on korta, there were two ways people looked at it. Again, some claim to have historical research on this. I haven't had access to it. I haven't read it, so I can't say. Others say that, look, we wanted to look at the point of double covering. So if you have a slit and you will be seeing it, you can see it when you walk by. So those who have slits and they sleep, sometimes in the act of tossing and turning, let's just say the double covering part gets finished. right? And the ones who don't have slits... When they toss and turn and sleep, the double covering remains intact. So this is one thing that isn't my knowledge. So that's all I can share. Right? Beyond that, uh, if a person has a slit or doesn't have a slit, it's not a gurb issue. So actually, I don't want to go so much into. The, if these go on, then you will ask me so many things. Right? Should it be plastic button? Should it be metal button? I have already told you the issues that have to do with kurb. Otherwise, we're not interested in all in dress. We are only interested in dress from a deen perspective, is there any particular way I could dress that might be preferable in the regard of Allah Ta'ala? So that I've told you. That white is more preferable in the regard of Allah Ta'ala. Double covering is more preferable in the regard of Allah Ta'ala. Keeping it above the angle is highly, highly more preferable in the regard of Allah Ta'ala. Right? That's about it. Don't worry about that. Anything you want. Yes? In neutral. Neutral. Yes. Yes. It's mentioned that even when people used to take ghusl, they would wear a wrap like a lungi around them so that they wouldn't be fully naked even in the shower. And they would find a way to wash using that. Yes. Same, no difference. Neutral. when you go where you know, that's why that's why then some people they said keep it to mid-calf because there may be cases when you bow then it, it goes down a bit so that way when you bow it won't go below the ankle if you drop stop it at mid-calf I read a Hadith once that the person wore different clothing he changed his clothing when he went to sleep so the notion of sleepwear is there that's neutral Neutral. Neutral. You can wear socks if you want. You cannot wear socks if you want. Neutral. Nabi Krim himself actually wore a lower garment, which was a wrap, lungi doti We call it in Urdu. I don't really know what you can call it in English. A wrap, but for many people, that's a bit difficult to wear. Some people, if they don't tie properly, they may enter in a dangerous situation. Yeah. Some people also, because we know that Nabi Kareem s.a.w., so never experienced winter weather. Winter, as we define it in America, snow and things like that. Not like your winter. mashallah. Right? So, what does come in Hadith the Prophet received as a gift a shalwar, and he passed comments praising or accepting it. Right? But some people... Definitely, some people they feel that the lungi is even closer to the sunnah. If they do it with that niyat, they will get kurb. They will get kurb, Neutral. And navel to knee must be covered in every situation. Yeah. Those who want to have the extra hayan whistle, it means that to wear a wrap that covers your navel to your knee. Is it on this topic? Yes. for this reason or you have to wear different colors for some other reason and you're thinking can I get kurbed through it somehow by making this intention <laughs> it's possible I can't say definitively alright actually I was just initially today trying to the an- tried to answer the question because some people noticed with Mishayak that some people wear the same dress as them I can't claim to know all the answers about every intention, about every clothing. Rather, we just wanted to explain to you the understanding behind the way our Mashaic dress. That's basically what I wanted to do. So there's no misunderstanding behind that practice. As far as other practices, I can't definitively comment on them. There may be other practices, there may be other intentions. The point was that you correctly understand this one. But the point, but I'm stunned that you never asked so many questions about mara'kaba. Huh? This is what I'm amazed at. Huh? Sheikh Yunus? Yes, we've witnessed our Mashaikh. They carry a Rumal I don't know again how you would call this in English. And they wear it on their shoulder. Right? I myself have never read any Hadith to that effect. But that doesn't mean anything. Because I'm not a hafiz of all the hadith. There, uh, from what I know, there is no clearly identifiable quote-unquote sunnah way of tying the imamah. I'm not aware of any particularly topi that can claim to be the sunnah type of topi. No, I, I don't think that's also sunnah practice. I have a, you can have a uh, sleepwear that's black, and, <laughs> right? Hmm? Next topic, this is, this, is all, this is all I can do on clothing. It's supposed to be a five, ten minute clarification, and then we have to move to the proper muddha. So this is exactly what I'm saying. This is also one of the ills. You shouldn't over-exaggerate it. You shouldn't over-exaggerate it. To whatever extent I wanted to explain it to you, I only want you to un- understand to that extent deeper understanding further understanding there are books on these things you can research on it you can ask about it if you feel you need to go deeper in that my point was just to clarify you some people have this question that why do some marids dress the same way as their sheikh some have the question why does the sheikh dress in a particular way some have questions why do some sheikhs wear turbans why do some don't this is all I wanted to clarify for you all right beyond that I'm not here to teach you uh, do a PhD in the clothing of sunnah with you right now. Alright? So the second topic, which you should have learned a long time ago, is about zikr. Now understand the details of the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright? In our salasana, Naqshul Mujaddidi there were five practices that we told you, daily practices. Recitation of Qur'an, hundred times istighfar, hundred times rutrif, Wakufa kalbi To remember Allah Ta'ala in your heart all the time And مراقب Right? Okay Of these five Four of them They remain the same They remain the same throughout All the way One's life Until a person dies Those four are You must always keep reciting Quran every day Making istikfar every day Making دور every day And trying to do wakufa kalbi, Remembering Allah Ta'ala in your heart every day the fifth one, which is called Marakaba, there are different lessons of Marakaba. There are different lessons of Marakaba. You can imagine there's a curriculum of Marakaba. There are 35 lessons, 35 lessons of Marakaba. The first 16, first 16, were derived by, designed by Hazrat Shah Baha'u'llah Bukhari and from lessons 17 to 35, 17 to 35. They were designed by Sheikh Ahmed Sir-Hindi, known as Mujaddid al-Fassani. So when you see this term, Naqshbandi Mujaddidi, so that's talking about that method of zikr, that curriculum of zikr, that syllabus of zikr, that has all of these 35 lessons. All right. Of these 35 lessons, the first seven lessons involve doing zikr of Allah Ta'ala's name. Allah, Allah, Allah. Silent zikr. Of Allah name. So all of you have been taught by us in the course of this itikaf, the first lesson, which is to make the zikr from your spiritual heart and imagine that your kalb, your spiritual heart is silently taking Allah Ta'ala's name. There's six other ways of doing that, which I will tell you in the course of the next few days. I'm just giving you the overview now. Lessons eight and nine are about doing zikr la ilaha illallah. Lessons 8 and 9 are about doing zikr. La ilaha illallah. That's why in our method of training of zikr, when I had once told you that along with these five practices, you can do any of the sunnah du'as or sunnah phrases of zikr that you find in hadith, that was true with the exception of la ilaha illallah. Because in the method of training of our mashaykh, we rather prefer that you wait to do zikr of la ilaha illallah after you've completed the first seven ways of doing the zikr of Allah Ta'ala's name, Allah. Other than La ilaha illallah tasbih, any other recitation you find in the hadith, you're welcome to recite that with the niyat of it being sunnah zikr. Then you would remember that I explained to you a couple nights ago about recitation of Qur'an, that here you're here to learn muraqabah, so better you should focus your time on muraqabah. Then I've explained to you in different nights the importance of zikr of the heart, and we don't need actually to do so much more zikr of the tongue, but what we need is to do more zikr of the heart. That's why our Mashaik, normally they would, like our own Sheikh, he made a small booklet of sunnah duwaz, and in another work of his called the shadra, he mentioned 40 sunnah adhkar to recite at different times, and he said you keep it at that, so that you can focus more of your time on the muraqabah. Alright? More of your time on the muraqabah. So I was telling you that they were 35 lessons. 1 to 7 are zik- zikr of Allah's name, 8 to 9 is zikr of La ilaha illallah. From 10 to 35, from 10 all the way to 35, there's no zikr of Allah's name, no zikr of La ilaha illallah. It's what is called the tafakkur, contemplation, reflection. In those lessons, a person simply reflects maybe sometime on a verse of Qur'an, maybe on some attribute of Allah Ta'ala. There are different ways of reflection on different aspects of Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala and the way Allah Ta'ala interrelates, interrelates with this creation is the meaning of waridat, tajalliyat, anwarat, the way Allah Ta'ala sends down His mercies on creation. Alright? So that is lessons 10 to 35. Now you should also understand that all 35 lessons aren't necessary for your Tazkiyah. All 35 aren't lessons for your Tazkiyah. Basic core Tazkiyah takes place by lesson number 16. And after that they're called lessons of Qurb. That a person just does more Zikr to get even more closer to Allah Ta'ala. To know Allah Ta'ala more. Marfat. To understand Allah Ta'ala more. To love Allah Ta'ala more. And doing all 35 lessons is very rare. I'll give you an example our own Sheikh, Hazrat Sheikh Zulfiqar Ahmad Naqshib Bandi Maridah His Sheikh, his name was Hazar Khwaja Ghulam Habib Rantaleh. Hazar Sheikh Ghulam Habib Rantaleh had authorized 23 people on this path. That's also something I'll explain to you a bit later. That's called bestowing khilafa. That means to express your confidence in that student that now they are qualified to teach the zikr and the path to others. So he had twenty three people like that. They're called Khulafa. Of those twenty three, only three of them actually completed all thirty five lessons. And of those three, one is our own Shaykh, Hazar Sheikh Zulfikar Ahmedsa. All right? And that's okay because the thirty five lessons are extra. This is like what our Mashaik say they cite the verse of Quran that this is the fazl of Allah Ta'ala, After lesson 16, it's the fazl of Allah But every salik, although you're very early for this, but the truth is that every seeker on this path should have a desire in their heart that I want to complete these 16 lessons. How long does it take to complete these 16 lessons? On average, it takes about 15 to 20 years. Yes? <laughs> yeah? <laughs> Alhamdulillah. But that's okay, because WHO said you have life expectancy of seventy-two. <laughs> yeah? So you don't have to worry? <laughs> Why are you worried? <laughs> huh? Why are you worried? Average. Average means the person who does muraqbah regularly, keeps in touch and correspondence with Shaykh, attends gatherings of sheikhs, listens to bayan, practices bayan. Over the course of fifteen to twenty years they complete the sixteen lessons. Those who have more taqwa who follow more sunnah, who are involved in khidmat of deen, da'wat of deen, tablik of deen, teaching ilm, they can cover it much quicker. Much quicker. And if a person has a lot of taqwa, sometimes it's just a matter of years, few years. Few years. Alright? So I wanted you to see that there is more to it. Because otherwise, sometimes people, they know, they think, okay, I just listen to Beyond and I give Bayat, and that's, I guess, that's it, I'm into Zawuf. No, there's more to it. There's a whole path, there's a whole curriculum, there's a whole training, there's a step-by-step training. Alright? Now, those of you who were new, as in you began this path of Zikr for the first time in this Itikaf program, so we want you to keep working on the first lesson. We want you to keep working on the first lesson because the first lesson, qalb is the foundation. Foundation of a person's tazkiyah. Salim. So you want to give a lot of effort on that. Those of you, however, who are not new, as in this isn't your first time, doesn't mean you don't have to do before. Maybe you were in itikaf for this last year or you have been with us in different gatherings in different parts of this country when we travel to you. And you have been doing the first lesson. You have been doing the first lesson. Then you should come to us in the next five days and we will explain to you the next lesson that you have to do. And then there are also some of you, mashallah, have been students for more than a year or two. And some of you are already on second, third, fourth lesson, etc. And you should send me a chit. Mentioning your name and what lesson you're on And then we'll call you Alright But I'm going to go ahead right now Very quickly and tell you I'm not assigning these to you But I want, I'm just going to explain to you Start explaining the process And we'll have to continue this tomorrow What the next lessons are So first I'm going to explain to you the first five lessons First five lessons Alright So you know what they are so that way anytime or even over whatsapp or phone if I tell you to do the next lesson you'll be able to do it because you'll have understood it in the course of these night gatherings alright understand this first I need to go over a bit of vocabulary with you some terminology alright so we have a roo and we have a body now you would know that our body has parts so some of those parts are called limbs and appendages the internal ones are called organs Just like that, the ru has parts. The ru has parts. Your batin, your inner reality, also has parts. Because Allah Ta'ala has mentioned different parts in Qur'an. For example, the word kalb is in Qur'an, and that's also inside you. The word nafs is in Qur'an, that's also inside you. The word ruh is in Qur'an, that's also inside you. And none of these three things are physical things. This is part of your non-physical humanity. You can call it your spiritual humanity, your immaterial humanity. In Arabic we call it that which has wujud but doesn't have is. It's maujud but without hiss. His means that it has no size, shape, color, matter, matter, mass, weight. Right? So you have a ru inside you but it doesn't have any weight, doesn't have any shape, doesn't have any color, doesn't have any size, but it exists. It has wujud but doesn't have hiss. Alright? So there, and these are all words mentioned in Quran. So you have parts in your button. So then the Arabic, in the Arabic language, the word used to represent a part of your button, a specific part, juz, a part of your button, that's called latifa. Latifa. And the plural of latifa is lataif. Latifa. Like you have faza'il, faza'il amal. Singular is fazila, fazilat, fazila. Plural is fazail. So latifa, lataif. لطيف. Even Imam of Ghazali, in his Iyalamuddin, he has used this terminology. So that means then, so we add an extra word, like a prefix. So before I would tell you qalb, now the formal term for the first lesson is latifai qalb. Latifai qalb. First lesson is called latifai qalb. That you are making zikr of Allah Tala's name from that particular part of your batin, that particular part of your inner self, which is your qalb, which is your spiritual heart. So that's called latifay gulb, latifay qalb All right. Then our mashaikh they took their understanding of zikr from Quran. So what does Allah Taala say in Quran? Wadku Rabbaka fi nafsik. That makes zikr of your Rabb inside yourself. Now, know the word nafs comes in Quran in two meanings. One meaning is the one we talked about in beyond nafs. Which is your carnal self, ego, passions, desires. And the second meaning of nafs is just yourself. Self. Just yourself. Right? anfusihim. <laughs> it doesn't mean you did zulm on your nafs, that nafs that we talked about in Bian. It means you did zulm on yourself. You wronged yourself. You understand what yourself, right? Okay. So here when Allah said Walkur Rabbaqah fi nafsik Allah Taala meant that make the zikr of your rub inside yourself. So what's inside myself? Well, outside myself? That's my zahir. That's again my limbs, organs, appendages. Inside myself, that's called my button. So our mashayikh said, "Okay, we will look in Quran and see what has Allah Taala mentioned to us about our button." So they found these words: Qalb, ru. Nafs. These are all words you know. They found some other words. For example, the word sir. Allah Ta'ala says, Huwa sirra. Allah Ta'ala knows what you harbor secretly. Akhfa. And that which you keep hidden. Khafi. That which you keep hidden. So that means that there's something in us that is sir, and there's something in us that is khafi. Right? I'll give you an example that I'm to give. That sometimes a person might think about themselves that, oh, I don't love the world. They say, Alhamdulillah, I don't have greed and materialistic love anymore. They say, I freed myself from materialistic greed, that I like these things, or I like shopping, right? Okay, but what happens? One day he goes into the mall, because he has to buy a pen. So he's going to buy the pen, but then he starts looking. And even he's a person who's made toba of TV, and took the TV out of his house 10 years ago, but he sees these plasma screens, he says, well... Let me go check it out. What's the latest in the technology? So he sidetracks from the stationery store, walks in the electronic store, and before you know it, he's standing in the display of TVs just to see what are the type of, I don't know, TVs or plasma or whatever they have today, what they have, right? So what happened? That means he still had a little bit of materialistic in him, right? He still had a little bit of love for dunya in him. So where was it all this time? It was in his sir. It was secret, even secret, unknown to him. It was in his sir. So this is an example, right? So Allah tells says, هو يَعْلُمُ sir? or he knows even what you harbor secretly. Allah Akbar. So when the they heard that also. They said, okay, we better do tazkiyah. We want to do tazkiyah if we have a kalb, we better purify that if we have a ru, we better purify that if we have a nafs, we better purify that if we have a sir, we better purify that if we have a khafi, we better purify that etc. So they made niyat, we're going to do anything Allah Ta'ala mentioned in Quran we're going to do tazkih of it Now what will be the method of tazkih? Same thing, the zikr of Allah's name Just like the jurists they make kiyas they make kiyas, so we make kiyas that as far as the kalb goes method of is zikr that شَيْءٍ سِكَالَةٌ اللَّهِ for everything there is a purifying polish and the purifying polish of the kalb is the zikr of Allah So we knew that there is a polish that is purification called the zikr of Allah So we use the same polish in every other part of the button. How we purify the ru? Zikr of Allah. How we purify nafs? Zikr of Allah. How we purify sir? Zikr of Allah. What would be the method of zikr? Same method of zikr. Make zikr of the name of your Rabb and focus on his name such that everything else goes out of focus. Alright? So the second lesson is called Latifai Ruh. First lesson Latifai Qalb. Second lesson is called Latifai Ruh. So what's the intention you make? Intention is exactly the same as the first one. What does it mean? That Ya Allah I want to remember you in such a way that I forget everything else in the world. But instead of Qalb, I want to remember you from my Ruh. Ya Allah I want my Ru to remember you. And my Ru to be so deep in remembering you that I forget everything else in the world. I أَذْكُرُكُمْ My Ru is making zikr of you. I ask that you do zikr of my Ru. That you do tazkih of my Ru. You send the nur of your hidayah on my Ru. You send your mercy into my Ru. And I make it that my Ru is making zikr of your name. That my Ru is calling Allah, Allah, Allah. So everything was the same. We just changed the word qalb to the word Ru. We just changed the word kalb to the word ruh. Otherwise, intention is the same, method is the same, everything else is the same. The second difference, and this will be the last thing I tell you tonight, and then we'll have to continue. Tomorrow's major night, 27th night, but maybe we'll continue the next night after that. Second difference is that where are these things located? So the kalb, spiritual heart, is inside the physical heart. So that was easy. Because we know physical heart is towards the left, left of center of chest because you can feel your heartbeat. So location of physical heart has been known to all men because all men can feel their heartbeat. Right? So the heart is a bit of an organ. It's a size. The spiritual heart is on the outer left side of the chest. So that's where your kalb is. So that you, many of you already know that our Mishnahic we point out the location of this kalb to a person. But where is the rule? On one hand, the, the whole rule is inside your whole body. So our mashahik, they again looked in Quran, and they saw another word which is sader. So Allah Taala says, Alam Nasra' Lak sadrak that Jannah you expands your sadr for you." Allah Taala says about everybody who gets the Deen of Islam, uh, Yashra Saderhu Al Islami, uh, huwa ala nurin min Rabbihi. Allah Ta'ala expands a person's breast for the Deen of Islam. They are on a nur. Then it comes an authentic hadith that when the karim was going on Miraj, this shaki sadr, that the angel Jabriel came and he opened up his breast and he took something out, and he washed some things and he put them back. We don't know exactly what it is, but there's some mention like that in the Hadith. So they said, okay, sadr. And you can understand also physically, your physical life is centered in your chest. You see, were someone, hypothetically, to be amputated, Lose both their legs and lose both their arms, they will still live, because life is here. So just like that spirituality, us sadr it's about the sadr it's about the breast. So then I'mreshank felt, okay, let us guiding us in Quran that it's in the breast. Where is the column in the breast? That's easy, we could feel physical heartbeat. So spiritual heart is inside physical heart. Now we know the ru, or at least that part of the ru that does zikr, that's somewhere in our chest. Now the Mashaikh, because they were great awliyaullah they made hours and hours of zikr every day for years of their life. So something happened to them, which in simple English you can call experience. In Arabic we call it idraq. They experienced, they became aware. They had an awareness of the zikr of Allah's name. They had an awareness of the silent zikr of Allah's name. When they made intention of the first lesson, Latifai Qalb, they had an awareness of the zikr of Allah's name coming from the left side of their chest. And when they made intention for the second lesson, Latifai Ruh, they had an awareness and experience and a feeling of the zikr of Allah's name coming from the right side of their chest. So because they started feeling it there, they started focusing there. When they started focusing there, then it opened up even more and they experienced it there. So they told their students also then when you make zikr, that mean intention that your ru is remembering Allah Ta'ala, you focus on the right side of your chest, you'll be able to be more aware of it, and you'll be able to feel it over there. So Latifah Kalb on the left side of chest, Latifah ruh on the right side of the chest. This is all we will do for now. And inshallah then some subsequent night, I will complete this topic of the five latifah for you, and then I will explain more also. There's actually more to explain on this topic And this method of zikr So we will spend the next few nights Actually now only talking about this topic Which is a new series Now we've begun Which is the topic about the different ways Of doing zikr in our methodology May Allah Ta'ala accept us for tazkiyah May He grant us that zikr that purifies our inner self May He grant us that zikr that brings us close to Him Wa الدَّعْوَانَ and Rabbil alami. Make muraqamah, close your eyes, bow your head Disconnect yourself from the world and everything that it contains Make niyat that your qalb, your heart is making the zikr of Allah Ta'ala's name As if your qalb is calling Allah, Allah, Allah La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah الله Rabbin Arama Haab an الله Muhammad Ba'ala alayhi s-eeruna Muhammadin wa اللهم, وشكرك اللهم من wa تكلم من عندك هند انك انت الله تعالى سيدنا محمد وعلى اله وصحبه اجمعين